Welcome to Constructed Futures. I'm Hugh Seaton. Today I'm here with Rob McKinney, the ConApp guru working at SafeSite. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Hey, good morning, Hugh. Thank you for having me on to talk today. So let's start with what SafeSite does and we'll get into what you do with them. Well, SafeSite at our core is a safety management platform. So we have a mobile app, works on smartphones and tablets that feeds our web-based dashboard that really, depending on what your company's doing, the, the journey that you're on is we can, you know, in five minutes, literally digitize your safety program now that you possibly could still be managing by paper or Excel spreadsheets or a legacy product that you don't like. But if you have a program, and maybe it's digitized, but it's not really, let's say, optimized, right? Like, do you really want to know what your people are doing in the field with real-time data? That's what our dashboard really does for safety professionals, for management. It's what I work with every day, honestly, is I live in our dashboard with the mm -hmm. customers that I get to work with. And I'm kind of their coach. I'm encouraging them of, hey, you know, it's Wednesday. You haven't logged a safety meeting. You, you might want to do that, right? Or Friday, I may have to raise a flag. But at the core, you know, we're digitizing safety and trying to make it more transparent and easy for workers to do. Because let's be honest, man, I, I came out of the field. I was a safety director for almost 14 years. Safety's not exactly the most popular thing at construction sites. And what I'm seeing, which is very interesting to me, I do not only work with construction customers. I have general industry customers. I've got a couple that you know make pallets. I've got some that do linens. I'm also dealing with the tree care industry. I am dealing with farming. And honestly, there's still a lot of digitization for safety in every work sector that I'm seeing. So our mission really is to digitize safety and provide data. That way, owners and managers can actually look at what's happening to their company. Because Hugh, I've heard you talk about this with lots of people on your show, and we've debated it off air a lot, right? It's, there's a difference in, between information mm -hmm. and data. Yeah. That's great. So you're, and you're helping people to think, I mean, the, 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 kind of continuation of that statement is you're helping people think about how to capture what they have and, and put it into a format that they can do things with, right? Where you can make that dashboard, you can run some analysis, help them to, to, to improve over time, right? Absolutely. You know, we start off with just, hey, you know, let's start at the lowest level of, of the data collection when we talk about safety. Hey, did you do kind of three major things in a week? Did you hold the safety meeting? Did you conduct a safety inspection? Did you log an observation? And then as I'm really working at that performance level with my customers that I have, it's not just that they did the safety meeting, but Rob wants to know, well, did you do it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Mm -hmm. And then those that I really hone in on because we like in the safety world that you do a safety meeting ideally on Monday, right? Like you come back from the weekend or a different shift and try and set their mind right. So we want that talk on a Monday. You know, once now I know that they're doing the talk every week, they do the talk on Monday. Then Rob's honing in, well, did you do it in the morning or did you do it in the afternoon? And same thing with the inspection, right? Is when we can kind of chart that out and show this is what the safety activity is, because this is where there's a big break right now when we're thinking about safety management for construction, but honestly, all industries, it's not just that you check the box and that you're compliance-based and, well, okay, Rob, we did a safety meeting. Well, that's great. But I want to look at that correlation of how many safety meetings are you doing? When are you doing them? And what is that correlation to what most people call uh, lagging indicators, right? So when you look at safety, traditionally people are measuring, well, how many people got hurt? Right. How many days were they out of work? Sometimes you're also tracking, unfortunately, those fatality stats. 
I'm more interested in those positive stats of how much education did you do? How often did you do the education? What was the timing of the education? And then let's correlate that to the losses and say, I think we could see some trends here, right? If you're, if you're not doing talks or you're doing talks late or you're doing talks on the wrong material, the injuries will surface. And it's, but you, got to, you have to have that data to make these correlations, right? So it's really going beyond what I call compliance-based safety into performance-based safety. But that data, that's what we lean on, right? As we're looking in of the actions, when were they completed? How often were they completed? And then trying to pull the data up and line that up with the losses and, and see. Now, our company actually did an actuarial study two years ago. And believe it or not, when the company was looking at the customers that we we're working with, which was uh, around 4,000 at the time, we saw a roughly 270% increase in completed safety actions by using our app. Hmm. And I, you know, I, I'm smart enough to know just using an app in general is going to increase it greatly. Mm-hmm. But our customers saw a 270% increase in their safety actions completed. But then, you know, the number that I think is more telling is they also realized a 47% reduction in the frequency of injuries, right? So the more we're talking about safety, the more we're keeping it at the top of mind, people are safer. And they're not having injuries. And there was a real correlation there. You know, actions go up, frequency went down. That's really a huge value for our customers, I think. Yeah. And I think this speaks to one of those moments when technology can really help in that you're taking away the need to remind people to do things so they'll do it more frequently. You're taking away the, the friction and pain or anyway annoyance of having to fill in forms by making it easier and more standard. And that mm-hmm. consistency, like a lot of things in life, right? Consistency often pays off when you're doing things like trying to change behavior or build something or, you know, trying to reduce numbers that you don't like. It's, it's consistency that winds up mattering, right? It's not one good meeting. It's the consistency of doing the things that lead to the outcome. So it sounds like what you guys have really built is something that, that again, makes it easier for people to remember to do things, makes it p- easier for people to actually do those, those activities and then makes it easier for them to look back on how they've how their actions correlate to other numbers that they probably already had, which is the the outcome numbers. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the things that's interesting about looking at your background is this is almost you coming full circle, right? Like six seven years ago, you'd spent a decade as a safety leader inside of construction. Then you spent you know, six, seven years building different apps, working on different technologies, talking a ton with people and to people about technologies. And this is kind of bringing together two really big chunks of your career, right? Is that the, the safety on the ground, understanding what it really takes, and then understanding what it takes for people to actually use and, and uh, deploy technology kind of coming together in this role. Is that right? Absolutely. I was very lucky to get into the construction industry back in 2001, learned a lot quick, and I spent a lot of time with it. And honestly, at the end, you know, I was a little frustrated with trying to get better Mm -hmm. without technology. And technology to me was something I was very interested in. That's about the time I met James Benham and joined up with him and traveled around and really got behind the scenes on technology to understand how tech is built how it is distributed and and both sides of the ball, right? I was a buyer of technology and then I came over and I was a consultant to try and educate other people like how do you buy technology? And then I got on the other side of like, how are we building technology? And 
I know you've had some of these debates as well in the industry of you know, the stance of, well, the user experience really has to be kind of front and foremost for an app because if people won't use it, why are you going through the motions, right? And I've argued with coders before of, you know, if it takes you four extra, 10 extra lines of code, I don't care. If it saves two button clicks in the field, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we got to get at, especially with safety workflows. If it's got to be, you know, one, two, three and done. If you're wanting somebody to push 10 buttons to complete an action, it's game over before yeah. what we're trying to do. So it's it's been interesting to start as a safety professional go on a journey. And now I'm actually working as a safety professional and a technology professional in this one kind of unique hybrid role. And it sounds from what you were saying earlier that you often will play the role of coach as a professional. And it sounds like that's a lot of what you're doing now, right? Is, is talking to companies about how to really change their approach to safety. You know, obviously the center of that is the application, the app you're talking about. But it, it sounds like you're able to give people tools and coach them on, on how to run their safety better. That's it. That's it. You know, the, the first level is just getting them to understand and trained on this is the system, right? You know, mm-hmm. if we, if we go Mandalorian on and them and think, what do you the think way. the biggest problem is out there now? Like if you were to think about what problem you're aimed at, other than the obvious one that is safety needs to improve. And I think we'll talk about the, the kind of aggregate level of that in a second. But, but in terms of behavior and what you find out there, what's the thing you're solving the most? I'll tell you, this is a sobering number. And I have a whole talk that I do on, you know, five ways technology can improve safety. And the reason that I'm still talking about this, you know, nearly 20 years into my journey is when we look at the numbers, and this is a sobering number to talk about, when we look at construction-related deaths, you know, when I first came in this business, so according to BLS, back in 2000, there were 5,000. 915 deaths in construction. And you look at the most recent number, which the one I could find was 2019. So, you know, 19 years, 5,333 deaths in construction. That is not a huge improvement in 19 years. I mean, it's almost, it's sad. You know, there's been a lot of other improvements. And when you look at the, the minor injury rates, there's definitely some improvements there without a doubt. But when you look at that one, I mean, you can't bring people back. We cannot replace the human body. You know, that's a crazy number. And so anything we can do to improve that, that's kind of one of the main missions I'm talking about, this technology of, okay, there's a way technology can really make an impact on safety. Now, there's core safety workflows that we have to still do. Those can't be replaced. But if we look at tech, what can tech do to improve safety and at this highest level, Let's prevent these fatalities because, you know, luckily in my career, I never dealt with one on a job site that I was running. Mm-hmm. I had them occur on job sites adjacent to me. I knew other professionals that had them occur. And I never had to make that horrible call to a family. Ugh. Thank God I didn't. Right. But I know yeah. other people that have. And I just recently walked a job site with some professionals here in the Atlanta area and a couple of them were talking about recent fatalities. And it's just stuff that, man, it makes you shake your head of they knew better. When you look at the when you look at the investigation and, and they did it anyway. And that's why I still lean on technology of what can there be to alert the worker, to alert the crew. There's got to be ways that this tech can really help, you know, reduce that number somehow. And I think, you know, the 
the, the first place is, is the consistency of, of behaviors, right? Is, is getting mm-hmm. people to keep doing the things and keep it fresh. And I, do you find that that's a big problem is that routine sometimes is the enemy of, of effectiveness, right? As you kind of settle mm-hmm. into it, you stop thinking about it. And half the point of safety is being aware of your surroundings and being vigilant. Do you find that keeping it green, keeping it um, front of mind is part of what you need to do? Oh, without a doubt. You know, it's part of what we saw with, with the actuarial study of seeing that huge increase in safety accidents completed and then the reduction in the frequency that, you know, humans get complacent. Yeah. Uh, the problem is in construction, which is arguably one of the most dangerous professions, you know, out there. I think it's, it's quantitatively one of the most. Oh, I'm like, like you've got the numbers hands to, down. To, to prove that point. Hands down. And people get used, you know, when you have human complacency mixed in with a dangerous work environment, I mean, we're literally building properties and projects and different structures that did not exist before. There's constant movement of materials, equipment, people. Even if you look at the infrastructure on the roadways, the railways, this it's a dynamic environment. I mean, people joke about it, but it truly is controlled chaos at all times. There's just so many things happening and people just get used to it where... I was driving down in Atlanta last month and I went near a road project that I won't name, but I'll tell you this, man, I was driving down and I see road work area coming up. I slow down. I used to do that kind of work. I know what's happening, but long story short, I was driving along. So I'm slowing down to 65 miles an hour in the right lane next to the Jersey barricade with the guys behind me, you know, right on my tail honking. And there were five workers Picture this in your mind. Now, you're driving down a highway. There's a Jersey barricade to keep you out of the work zone. There was five workers sitting on said concrete Jersey barricade with backs to traffic eating wow. their lunch. Wow. I was just mind-numbed. I wanted to pull over and go find, like, who is in charge of this job site? you got to be kidding me. You're literally at workers sitting with their backs to active traffic. Like, no buffer. Yeah. No buffer. In 2021, there's still that mentality. Like these guys, are like, eh, what's going to happen? I'm, I'm eating my lunch next to traffic, doing, you know, I had slowed down to 65, and people mm. are blowing by me doing like 80. It's scary. You think about it. all it takes is one distracted goofball texting, you know, yep. to, sw- to swipe those guys, and you got yourself a real problem. Yep. Yep. Man, so, I mean, that's where technology comes in. I think that can help out, right? If there's got to be a way at some level to well, uh, make an improvement. Well, you like to talk about five ways that tech improves safety. This is something you and I chatted about earlier. Let's go through what those are. Well, when you look at it at high level, we're gonna, I kind of organize these to match the hierarchy of controls for safety prevention. So the five are using BIM for pre-planning. Mm-hmm. Number two is training through AR and VR. Three is using apps, and I think we can hone in on those kind of the most. The other ones to keep out there is the evolution of PPE, personal protective equipment, what we're seeing with hard hats, boots, vest, and then wearables is a really interesting topic, you know, because you've talked about this a lot, and we've, we've shared some comments. You know, tr- wearables leads to tracking. Tracking in construction is not a popular topic, but when we're th- talking about it in the safety sense, I think it's got some legs, but at the core, you know, the three main things I'm really hitting on is that pre-planning through BIM. So we're, I'm talking first, hazard recognition. You know, you can call it a job hazard analysis, a pre-task plan. There's lots of acronyms, but in the industry, right, every day crews around the country are filling out this piece of paper, maybe a spreadsheet of basically three things. What they're going to do, 
how they could get hurt and how they're going to control it. And it's kind of on the fly. And it made me wonder, and this is something I've experimented with for years of when the company that I was at started on their BIM journey, you know, we are building the BIM. Yes. Number one for constructability. We were trying to figure out, you know, clash detection, how to put the building together, what we're going to do. But as I started looking at these programs, you know, the, the early on programs that are still out there today, Navisworks, Celebri, I'm fascinated right now with like what you could do in Revisto. But the idea is why, and I, I was telling you this before we came on air, I, I did a small presentation the other week to a group of 60 safety professionals. And I asked them, how many of them have ever looked at BIM or been involved in a project with BIM for safety? Mm-hmm. I had one hand go up. This is 2021, right? One hand go up in a room of, you know, 60 professionals. Because most safety people don't look at BIM as it's a tool. They're thinking, oh, it's for class detection. Oh, it's for constructability. Well, think about this. When they're building this this digital model of this property, the structure, whatever you're going to build, this is kind of like your preview. You literally can go into a building and look at what are the hazards. If you're a safety professional and you've built this type of property before, if you've never built it before, if you're looking for fall hazards, if you're looking for deep excavations, if you're thinking about like, well, wait a minute, where are the tower cranes going to go? Where's the egress, the emergency egress? Where will you put the chute for the dumpster? Where will you put the porta potties? Or now in this crazy, you know, 18 months we've been through, where's the controlled access? Where are the people coming through for those temporal scans and where can people eat and you basically, you're looking at a little mini movie of the job to think through from the beginning of the job through closeout, where are the high hazard areas that you can now visualize? Because you, one of the things that used to scare me more than anything as a safety professional, whenever I heard the term cantilevered, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I always knew that means big fall hazard. You don't build and, and set concrete and beams way out over the edge of something very easy. So that means there's a fall hazard. I need to understand that or, you know, some of these crazy buildings we're seeing now that, you know, as they go up, they grow out and they, they're, they're kind of top heavy or they spiral or they've got these insets and these kickouts. All of that, again, takes a tremendous amount of formwork and scaffolding that a human's got to set up mm-hmm. or the glazing. So if, if a safety professional actually will start utilizing the VDC team of saying, hey, Let's get in here and show me what's going on or even on the inside, right? There's long runs of when you look at the mechanical, the electrical, the plumbing, mm-hmm. you know, where's all this ductwork going to go? Where's the plumbing, the, the water? There's things to look at in there. And we've seen some amazing use cases. But, you know, the first is let's re- let's rethink what BIM is for the construction industry and specifically for safety workflows. And why are you not getting inside of a BIM with the design team? before the project's built, obviously, and kind of start working on finding some of these hazards because you can visually see them before you're ever going to put, put work in place. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what this reminds me of actually is our mutual friend, Josh Bone, was talking once about when he was working directly in, in with an electrical contractor. Obviously, now he's with Nika and Electri, but he was talking about how every time they would look at BIM, obviously they were worried about about getting things in there, but they would also say, you haven't left room to maintain it. So I think he would say something like, we, we always had to drop the ceiling. And this mm-hmm. is kind of an analogy here where it wasn't just constructability they were thinking about. It was maintainability, which to me, it's not the same as safety, but it's, it's one of those things that 
isn't core to putting work in place, but is essential to the functioning of the project. And so I think it's similar to what you're saying where, you know, go through the BIM, the BIM model and models to identify where issues are going to be. And you can do it in a way that is three-dimensional and much easier for people to understand than flat plans might've been, or than just describing the building. So I think, you know, some of what you're getting at is really taking advantage of the 3D nature of these models so people can visualize in their head that, yeah, I, I could see how that's going to be a problem. And, and I understand the danger, like f- viscerally understand that instead of just kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah I know, I know, I'll, 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 I'll make sure to, you know, clip off. Oh, a hundred percent. And that leads me to the second one of, if you have this amazing BIM, Let's rethink training. Now, I have done a lot of training over the years, and I'll always be the first to admit, I probably wasn't the best trainer back in the day. I leaned heavily on my coastal, if anyone remembers, those VHS tapes. Mm -hmm. And then I got fancy because they were a DVD. But there was a lot of training delivered that, you know, I probably could have done better. But 15, 20 years ago, that's what we had. How did you train a worker for your on-site orientation? You had a PowerPoint and somebody like me probably stood there for 20 or 30 minutes and read them literally the whole document and then made sure, you know, got the head nods and everybody signed off and you sent them out or the competent person training. There's really interesting things. When you start looking at how the human brain learns of what they need to do. Like they, you can't just read to them and drone on, but that's how we did it. But now when you look, what about AR and VR? So if you have that BIM, what if you could take an employee and use either system, right? Maybe you've got a VR headset and you could bring them into your trailer or your company office, wherever, and set them down. And what if you could literally walk them through the project? So you already built the BIM. We went through it and we found the hazards, right? Mm-hmm. Now we're telling all the craft workers like, all right, look, we're going to do this, that, and the other. And, you know, the, the front entrance is going to have a cantilevered canopy. By the way, this is a 60-story building. Or, you know, think about these stadiums that we do, like the, the Falcon Stadium down in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. That had a tremendously huge BIM built for it, multiple BIM, right? But what if you could actually walk in there and understand where you're going to work and take people And we're seeing examples of this. There's been a couple of products that were built over in the UK. There was a couple in the States that were acquired. The idea, though, is when you're talking virtual reality, this gamification, how to sit a worker down. And what if in the next couple of years you could train a worker? And we're seeing some examples of this across the country uh, on the union side, at least at some apprentice programs, of put them in a headset and show them what if you're standing in front of an electrical panel and this is how to do the work. And if you, you know, put the wrong tool to the wrong piece of the equipment, it arcs literally, you know, a virtual arc and they experience that or they're welding or you put them on top of a 30 story building on red iron and have to walk out and unhook a crane latch. You put them 15 feet below grade in a, you know, one bucket wide trench with a little bit of daylight and it collapses on them. Yeah. If you could gamify it, right. And give them that muscle memory and that memory in their brain, but they didn't hurt them. Or even the AR with people are doing our friend, Travis Foss, for example, Mm -hmm. he's been doing some very interesting things with the HoloLens. And so they're building the BIM for the projects. He and the QC team, the VDC team go out and they're looking up into the ceiling of where the system's going to go in. And there's another extension that I was thinking about of, okay, well, what about the safety professional? Right. Give them the HoloLens to walk around and look and think, well, what else is up in that ceiling? You know, where are all the hangers? Where are the things that could poke them in the eye or cut their cheek or cut their hand? So between VR and AR, there's 
I think a lot of opportunity to train workers on the hazards of the project or just the hazards in general in a whole new way versus sitting them down with a DVD or, and, I'm, and again, I'm not trying to knock any of the training platforms out there, but there's a fundamental difference in, you know, clicking a button or having someone read something to you versus experiencing it virtually like a game to really set that into the gray matter, I think. You know, it's funny you bring up VR and AR. Prior to my current role with CSI, I, I ran the training division of the Glimpse Group, which is a VR AR company. So I, you're speaking to the, not even the choir, the choir leader. And, you know, I'll build on what you were saying about the difference between being in VR versus clicking a button or watching a flat video. The biggest part of our cortex is the visual cortex, like the biggest part of our modern brain. There's bits behind that are pretty big too, but is the visual cortex. We're made to understand the world visually. So when you're in something, it's engaging parts of how you think in a way that words and, and pictures can't. When you're in a 3D environment, whether it's VR or AR, you're just seeing it differently. You're, you're understanding relationships differently. And much more importantly is it's really hard to engage someone's emotions with a video unless there's a story and you care about the characters. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to engage somebody's uh, emotions when they're in it. When you're the protagonist, that's what we used to talk about is you're the protagonist walking through this. So if you're suddenly looking down 15 stories, you feel it, even though you know you're in an office and your feet are firmly planted and you're safe, you put that headset on and the part of you that has kept us alive for, you know, 200,000 years since humans evolved and, you know, however many million years of our predecessors immediately engages. You know what I mean? So you're able both for the safety professional who can engage their intuition better, but also the, the worker who may, may not have quite the same intuition about safety, they're all going to feel it and understand it much better. So I really, I not only agree, I can obviously kind of expand on it since I spent a lot of time thinking about that. Very cool. Can I have oh, a yeah. shift, shift gears to the app, the third one of your, of your main big trio? Oh, yeah. Now, there's where we have the low-hanging fruit, honestly. Yeah. I mean, when you think about traditional safety workflows, and I can tell you now, I speak still to contractors in different types of construction and manufacturing every week. There's a lot of paper-based workflows still out there in 2021. This is the low-hanging fruit of, okay, instead of filling out a piece of paper and trying to scan it, digitize it, fax it, send it back to the project manager, whatever, you know, we can, those core three workflows of, all right, did you do a safety meeting this week? Digitizing that alone saves time, but also kind of really sets the mind and the inspection and you know, what I call an observation is basically taking a photo. We try to work and encourage our customers, take a photo of someone doing something right. Like you come up and they're on the third step of a ladder with all their PPE and they're doing something, third or fourth step. That's cool. They weren't on the second step. They weren't on the top step. You know, there are times you have to find someone doing, unfortunately, the unsafe act and correct them. But the more times you reward, you're doing it right. They're wearing the proper PPE. Maybe they're running a chop saw, cutting rebar with, you know, safety glasses and a face shield or the metal face shield. Like you're trying to reward them. That's where apps really kind of take it to the next level. There's so many amazing ones out there that do a lot of different things. But, you know, it's now it's it's gone past digitizing paper because at, at the original point, right, that's what we were doing. When I found the first couple apps, I was digitizing paper. I was really just making digital information, not data. Now, 
we're able to actually create and generate data or more importantly, search for it where, you know, one of the ones that I'm still watching, there's two right now that I, I find super fascinating. There's Dato, which what they're doing with natural voice selection for a from a safety standpoint is fascinating that when I'm talking to them of, hey, listen, let's think about things like an SDS and how easy is it for any worker on a construction site to find an SDS sheet. So for those of you that are not safety professionals, it's safety data sheet. It's, it tells you what the chemicals are that you're working with and if you're exposed, what to do. And how easy is it to find an SDS sheet on a job site? Well, what if you give everybody an app that anyone can naturally voice search and say, let's think of something like acetylene, right? I cannot spell acetylene. I can barely say the word and I've been around it for 20 years. Now I know what it is. It's a gas. It does some funky stuff. And when you mix it with another one, you know, it's normally around the welding cutting operations. But if I want to find that acetylene SDS really fast on a job site, what are the chances of me walking to the main trailer for the GC and finding the right book, the SDS book quickly, or maybe it's something like turpentine, or maybe it's diesel fuel. What if you can actually say the word of show me acetylene SDS to an app and in seconds, it brings it literally to you. And then you can search for it and find it. Or what if you want to know the COVID plan, the emergency access plan? Who was the emergency contact? I could go on and on, right? If there's these things you need to know in safety. And what if you could literally, almost like Star Trek world, speaking to your communicator and the computer tells you these things instantaneously, man. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And that brings us back to what you're doing with, with SafeSite. Let's talk a little bit about that and kind of bring our, bring it home. Now, this experiment that we're currently working on, so SafeSite has been operating for about eight years. We have been refining and honing our platform. You know, arguably, I think it's one of the best ones out there. It's why I joined up with Peter and the team. We're digitizing those workflows. So any company that's still paper-based or Excel-based that wants to make it easier to complete first, complete the actions, the workflows in the field, that's what we do. And then we provide this dashboard that actually shows you your performers and where we do something a little bit different. Our platform, as far as I'm still aware, and I've, I've looked at a few, we actually put a score on every project, an A, a B, a C, or a D, you know, kind of like high school, college, A is really good, B needs a little help, well, C and D got a lot of talks and encouragement. When you can look at that and say, when someone says, well, how safe is a site? We're literally putting a score on it of saying it's an A because they did this many talks and they did them this early in the week. And even we, uh, part of our algorithm is looking at the quality of a document too, of did someone go and do an inspection here and complete it in two seconds, two minutes and 23 seconds, or maybe five minutes, you know, the longer it takes them to do something, we're kind of thinking they spent a little more time on it versus just check, 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 you know, closing something out. But where it's getting really interesting for us, you might have heard this concept of InsureTech. So last year, we created the Foresight Group. We have a division that is actually issuing worker comp. We started in California. We're in nine states now, so kind of California down through Texas over to Louisiana. And we are running this experiment of what if we offer you insurance contingent upon using an app to improve your workflow? Now, this concept's already out there. You probably know who Flow is with Progressive, right? And your commercial auto lines, we've seen either put, you know, attach this dongle to your car or use this app. And by the way, if we're tracking your driving and you drive better, you know, if you keep in the speed limit and you don't brake too hard, you know, there's a reduction in that worker comp premium. And that's what we're really working on there with Foresight. We're, we'll extend a policy. We extend a credit 
for the customer agreeing to use our tech, which is SafeSite. Mm -hmm. And you get somebody like myself, that's that safety coach that every week is working with you of, you know, step one is the cultural shift of, all right, we're going to do things in an app and we're going to use our app. And this is how we're going to do that. But that information is shared with the customer, but it's also shared with the underwriters. So every month, you know, I talked about those scores. This is where that dynamic is shifting of, you know, well, why do I need to use this app? What's in it for me? Well, first is we're trying to improve your safety, which improves the quality of your work and makes workers happy and nobody's getting hurt. And by the way, it's going to save you money, like directly saving you money. This is one of those things, Hugh, that a lot of apps struggle, like on that ROI. Well, this is a pretty easy one because every company, every construction company working has to have workers' comp insurance. That's a fixed number every year, generally. And the way those mod rates work, right, if you you kind of have poor performance and that mod goes up, the insurance go up. But if you do good and it goes down, we're helping you directly controlling a fixed cost. Like, who doesn't get excited of thinking about saving 10%, 6%, even 5% on your workers' comp insurance by getting better at something? That's the, the amazing journey I'm on right now. That's fantastic. I love that. And you're right. It's a model that's been tried outside of construction. So it just makes all the sense in the world that you'd bring it into construction and you know, dramatically improve the data that's going to the people who are assessing risk and pr- therefore pricing it, but also reducing the risk itself by, so you're almost, you're looking at both sides of the equation, right? You're looking at mm-hmm. how, how the risk is assessed and priced, but also how the risk is generated by behavior. Rob, this has been really cool. I've, I've learned so much about safety, which isn't surprising, but also about what you guys are up to at, at SafeSite. So thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, man, thank you for the time to kind of share our story. If anyone's listening and curious to learn more and carry on that conversation, hey, send me a message on LinkedIn. Send me an email to robert at safesitehq.com. If you want to try out what this tech looks like, I can give you a couple free licenses, let you take a look. Or, you know, if you're in that market for insurance too, please check out what we're doing with Foresight. So you can take a look over at getforesight.com and love to have some conversations. But you, it's been awesome talking to you, man. Hopefully these little knowledge nuggets about safety really help some companies out there listening. Excellent. And I'll have all of those links in the podcast as well. Thanks again, Rob. Thank you.